Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hope you had a great weekend, and we're really glad you're here for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, good, and crazy martinis for conservatives today, although the crazy's pretty bad, too. But the good ones... The good ones are genuinely good. Sometimes we got to twist those to make them good. Today, not the case. Let's start with the Washington Post. Not usually where we go for the good martini, but nonetheless, uh, definitely good news from their latest poll, Jim, that shows a 10% lead for Republicans on the generic ballot heading into uh, 2022. Obviously, it was a good election night this year for Republicans, and even in places where Republicans haven't done very well lately, Virginia in particular, but even New Jersey, things uh, went a lot better than virtually anybody expected. And now in the uh, 10% uh, generic lead, that's better than just about any Republican cycle in recent memory. All told, 51-41% in favor of the Republicans. Independents, 50 to 32 leaning towards Republicans. Moderates were still losing. I'm not sure exactly how those are defined, but nonetheless, he's ahead. Uh, Biden's ahead on that 48-42, or Democrats are anyway. The big one, the suburbs. GOP uh, decimated in the suburbs the last couple of election cycles, up 15 now, 54 to 39. Maybe Glenn Youngkin has found the secret sauce for getting some of those congressional seats back. Uh, Rural. Uh, Republicans up 40, even in the urban setting, Democrats only up 14. Republicans are doing better in the suburbs than the Democrats are doing in the cities, Jim. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of other numbers here that we can smile about, but uh, the ones we've already mentioned, pretty darn good. Greg, you had a sense before this poll came out that the Democrats were probably in really rough shape. Uh, Tuesday's election or last, you know, the, the elections earlier this month, went badly, not just the Virginia gubernatorial race, but also down ticket and up in New York and uh, the New Jersey governor's race being much closer than everybody expected. Um, You know, the economy, the unemployment's low, but inflation's been really bad. People are very down about that. Certainly uh, there has been nothing to kind of balance out the shock and horror of Afghanistan. So you figured the numbers were going to be bad. But these were really, really bad. And for those wondering, have the polls ever shown a a 10-point Republican lead on the generic ballot? Short answer is no. And I went back and I checked. In 2014, a handful of polls had an eight-point lead for Republicans. Most of them had had the uh, Republican lead on the generic ballot lower than that. Wasn't nearly as it was not 10 points back in 2010, and it was not 10 points back in 1994. In fact, I think surprisingly close in 1994, considering how that was the Republican landslide. So, if the election were held tomorrow, well, first, the old joke is everyone would be confused because they think the election is next year. Um, <laughs> but if, if these kinds of political environment, this kind of issue environment, this kind of mood of the country, is in place a year from now, Democrats are just going to get absolutely hammered up and down the ballot all across the country. Um, You could be looking at a bigger than a 40 seat swing in the House. And I heard some people kind of running the numbers and calculating this would probably be Republicans picking up like four seats in the Senate. That's about as good a midterm election as you could possibly have. Now, there's time between now and Election Day 2022. You know, could the circumstance change? Sure. Could the um, mood of the country change? Absolutely. But you look at a bunch of the big problems that are on people's minds, most notably inflation, the supply chain, worker shortages, 
uh, empty shelves on the stores, high gas prices, high food prices, all of these you know, problems that are kind of interconnected. That's not going to change tomorrow. Maybe if we're lucky, the inflation numbers will start getting better in uh, early 2022. I think most people, one of the Wall Street Journal had a good observation that like, if there's any time of the year you, you'd expect inflation to go up, it's November and December, because that's when everybody's doing their Christmas shopping, Hanukkah shopping, all their other stuff. You know, consumer demand increases in the last two months of the year. And so when demand goes higher, unless you have a corresponding increase in supply, you would expect inflation and prices to go higher. So nothing's getting better till January at the earliest. So chances are, if you thought you had bad numbers for inflation in October, November and December are probably going to be even worse. So my guess is we're going to enter 2022 with the electorate in a really angry mood, really upset with the party in power. And that's really bad news for Democrats. And you see it in these really good news for Republicans, at least at this point. Yeah, the generic numbers are good. But as Jim is fond of pointing out, Tim Pawlenty's not running for any of these seats. So you have to pick good candidates. And so uh, some of the races where I think we should be under normal circumstances, just fine. And in circumstances uh, under conditions of a poll like this should be in very good situations. Make sure you follow the Buckley rule and pick the, the best conservative candidate who can actually win. Missouri Senate, I'm looking directly at you. This is the seat we should be holding. And uh, let's just say Eric Greitens is bringing more baggage than Delta Airlines into this primary. So choose wisely. Please choose Let's wisely. not get tied up with a bad candidate, Missourians. <laughs> we don't want to be handcuffed to some bad guy who's going to lose the election. Oh, man, man. Choose wisely, as the knight said at the end of uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. All right. Enough analogies there, but let's uh, talk about a, a great new sponsor that we have today. It's Universal Coin and Bullion. And you got a lot of different uh, gold and silver dealers out there. You probably get inundated with them in, in talk radio. Uh, the reason I really like uh, UCB, Universal Coin and Bullion, is their leader, Mike Fulgens, he's a guy that the uh, guys who are fighting counterfeiting go to for advice. The numismatic guys go to for advice. He's on every board of trying to keep this industry uh, above board and honest and successful and keeping the customers happy that you can possibly think of. So I can't imagine a place that would be better for you and more trustworthy uh, than Universal uh, Coin and Bullion. And with, of course, uh, inflation a mess right now, uh, it could be helpful for your for your long-run uh, financial situation because the price of silver has increased 340% since 2000 and it continues trending higher and higher. Universal Coin and Bullion is offering our listeners a special locked-in price of just $30 for a beautiful one-ounce 2021 American Silver Eagle coin which is the most popular coin in the world for collectors and investors. This limited offer is available at dealer's cost because Universal Coin wants you to own the first newly designed silver bullion coin since President Reagan signed the Gold Bullion Act in 1985. Call Universal Coin, which are leaders in the precious metals industry, at 1-800-UCB-GOLD to get your beautiful U.S. Mint silver coin for only $30. Postage is free. And remember, you'll be dealing with the experts. Yeah, like I said, the company's president, Dr. Mike Fulgens, is recognized as America's gold expert. He's the 2021 Coin Dealer of the Year. They also have rare coins, but this special silver deal is only available using the code MARTINI. So call 800-UCB-GOLD. That's 800-UCB-GOLD. And remember the code word MARTINI. All right, Jim, on to our second good martini now, because when you look at a poll like that, and you look at the election results from earlier this month, and you look at the fact that the midterms usually don't go with the party 
of the president in, in power at that time. You'd think that people looking at Texas, that quixotic journey of Democrats thinking they're about to retake all the statewide offices in, in Texas, that 2022 probably wouldn't be their year. Enter Beto O'Rourke. He has uh, once again gotten uh, the bug because, of course, he was born to do this, as you know. 2018, kind of positioned himself as a moderate to try to take down Ted Cruz. Close race. Uh, helped a lot of Democrats lower on the on the ballot uh, actually win. Uh, but Cruz won. Then he decided to uh, run for president and went hardcore left, talking about taking away your AR-15s and universal health care and no border wall, you know, things that are really popular in Texas. And now he's decided he's going to run for governor uh, and seek the Democratic nomination in hopes of taking on Governor Greg Abbott. Uh, Texas Monthly, with the exclusive announcement today, they point out that Abbott, whose approval ratings aren't great, in fact, they're slightly underwater, 48-43, more disapprove, uh, but they're actually better than Beto's. Only 35% of respondents have a favorable opinion of him against 50% with an unfavorable view, and Abbott has a pretty good lead on money. So, Jim, we know what Beto accomplished, which was, for himself, nothing, with a massive war chest and a huge anti-Trump year in 2018. So four years later, he's running into what could be a Republican buzzsaw in the state of Texas, and he's all in. Hell yeah! Um, (laughs) I I wrote a corner post on this. Rarely does the announcement of a Democratic candidate make Republicans feel good the way this one does. Because, look, the the upside for Democrats is that Beto O'Rourke clearly has name recognition. Um, He has a network of donors from across the country who may or may not feel like donating again. But if you've donated to Beto O'Rourke in the past, there's at least a decent chance you'll donate to him again. He did run relatively close in 2018. Now, as I think as you pointed out, uh, that was a really good year for Democrats. Beto O'Rourke raised more money than any other candidate had until uh, up until that point. Jamie Harrison surpassed him in 2020. And the other thing is that is, you know, probably the, the, the bugaboo or just kind of gets in my head the most is that every single major national media organization wrote a just glowing profile about how Beto O'Rourke was the great Southern hope and Messiah of the Democrats and just, just gushing about how sweaty he was. And he used to be in a band and he's, he's so cool. And he drops the F bomb and look the way he drives. Oh, we actually didn't want to talk about his driving record that much. Um, that was Kennedy-esque about him. I'll give him that. But uh, Vader O'Rourke, uh, just an unbelievable height to performance ratio. And I guess the first thing you, you like, you can't count on having raising more money than anybody else ever has in history and having the national media singing your break. Like, those are some huge advantages to have. And he still fell short. You know, respectable loss, but he, he still fell short. And then when he tried to do the same thing again, running for president, he kind of crashed and burned. People got really tired of him. And I think a big chunk of what was fueling that Beto O'Rourke support in 2018 was there were a whole bunch of national Democrats who hated the guts of Ted Cruz, and would donate anybody, donate a ton of money to anybody who was running against Ted Cruz. So this time around, I don't know if there'll be that same level animosity towards Greg Abbott. Maybe there will be. But if you're a Democrat, you're probably not, if you're the Democratic Governors Association, you're not feeling great about this because all that money that's going to be going to Beta O'Rourke and what I think we could all agree is a long shot bid, particularly if he's running for governor of Texas on a, I will confiscate your AR-15 platform. And oh, by the way, he says he's still sticking by that. So that's, you know, Greg Abbott's, uh, uh, pardon the metaphor, his his attack ads are locked and loaded. Um, You're going to see 
a whole lot of donor money probably going to Bader O'Rourke that probably would be better spent on Tony Evers in Wisconsin, or uh, th there are a good eight really likely to be competitive governor's races across the country in 2022. And Texas is not one of them. So if you've got another, let's say it's not 80 million this time, let's say it's 40 million or something. So a significant amount of money going to beta or work is money you can't spend in other places that probably are going to be closer and probably where that money can make a big difference. So uh, it's kind of a win-win for the Republican Governors Association. I think uh, the other argument is that when he doesn't have the media propping him up, I don't think Beto O'Rourke is that great a candidate um, when you see it in, in statements like the AR-15. At minimum, he does not know how to calibrate to not be too far to the left, and I think he's going to be easy pickings for Greg Abbott. Now, because of all the resources, maybe he will be fine, but particularly if this is not a good year for Democrats, he should not expect to have that wind at his back. My guess is Abbott wins and wins pretty handily. We've seen this before. We've seen this with uh, the, the Castro brothers and uh, Wendy Davis on the cover of Texas Monthly. Every four years, we get told, this is the year Texas Democrats come back. And so far, at least, you know, in, in close to a generation that has not been the case, you know, chances are this is going to end up to be a giant waste of resources for Democrats. And uh, hey, I, I'm going to drink a Shiner Bach to all the money that's going to go to Beto O'Rourke and not really be all that useful to the Democrats in the 2022 uh, midterms. Democrats have not won the governorship there since 1990 and Ann Richards. And she got uh, derailed by George W. Bush and the Republicans have had the had the seat ever since. Jim, I was shaving and listening to the radio when this news came on this morning. And so when I heard that he was running uh, and they said that he was officially getting into the race, I could see myself smiling in the mirror. And then when they talked about how even though it's uh, looking like potentially a long shot in this particular atmosphere, it could be an attractive target for a lot of Democratic donors. I saw myself get the smile of the Grinch, basically. Like, uh, go ahead and <laughs> pump all this money in there. Go for it, please. Keep I'm donating Democrats more. We may do a fundraiser for him. That's that's how much we like this guy. All right. Well, I think Greg Abbott will be fine against uh, Beto O'Rourke. But uh, if you're at all tense about that or anything else going on uh, politically or just in your life or in your exercise routine, the Theragun is the way to help. Don't let the stress of daily life weigh on your body. Whether you're an elite athlete or someone just like me, just trying to make it through the day tension-free, Theragun can really help. Theragun is the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combination of depth, speed, and power. And it is as quiet as an electric toothbrush. The Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source of your pain by releasing tension. Using Theragun's signature percussive therapy, which goes 60% deeper than vibration alone. Whether you want to treat your muscle tension from working out, or you're trying to recover from an injury, or you're just trying to deal with the stresses of everyday life. There is just no substitute for the Theragun Gen 4. The OLED screen and design make you feel like you're holding something from the future. Just go to their site and check it out. And the Theragun app learns from your behaviors and suggests guided routines. I carry my tension kind of up in the shoulders and the lower part of the neck area. I can't tell you how much the Theragun helps with those situations. I've talked about how my wife has appreciated Theragun with uh, knots in her back and even with her feet. And it's just really, really been a huge help. Can't recommend it highly enough. Uh, Theragun is trusted also by 250 professional sports teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova. 
hundreds of thousands of customers, and yes, me. Try Theragun for 30 days starting at just $199. Go to therabody.com slash martini right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today. That's therabody.com slash martini, therabody.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's talk about our crazy martini now. And the Democratic response to inflation has been all over the map. First of all, don't worry about it. It's transitory. It's not a big deal. It's going to be minor. It's going to go away soon. Well, it's not going to go away soon, but we're going to get to it uh, eventually. And uh, we've got ways of dealing with this. Well, now we talked about last week how they really don't have any uh, good plans to deal with it. And it's worse than they expected. And so now... When we see the rising cost of everything from groceries to gas and other staples in life, uh, the Democratic response is uh, basically twofold. Number one, here's Jen Psaki uh, saying that, you know, this rise of gas prices, which they kind of exacerbated by shutting down pipelines and uh, energy exploration, uh, actually makes a stronger case for our clean energy future. Just to be clear, and I know that's been a criticism, so that's why I said that, not an accurate one. Look, our view is that the rise in gas prices over the long term makes an even stronger case for doubling down our investment and our focus on clean energy options so that we are not relying on uh, the fluctuations and OPEC and their willingness to put more supply and meet the demand in the market. And if that weren't enough, you've got media outlets like Time Magazine saying uh, our consumption habits caused the supply chain crisis and Bloomberg uh, essentially saying in their opinion section that we need to learn to live more like Europeans. Our household consumption is just too high, so we have to learn to lower our expectations. So, Jim, the parallels to the Carter administration of we just need to turn down the thermostat. We need to let set our expectations a little lower. I mean, we're only nine, ten months into the Biden administration. They're already telling us to uh, kill our dreams here. Democrats 2022, lower your expectations. Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily going to be a great rallying cry. Um, probably one of the easiest cliches in, in political discussions to say, what if the other party did it? But in this case, it really is kind of fun to think about. If there had been a Republican president and inflation was as bad as it was, and, and I remember George W. Bush getting absolutely blistered over high gas prices in the summer of 2008, Um you would not see coverage of, look, there's nothing the president can do about this. And uh, look, you really have just unrealistic expectations. It's out of his hands. He's trying the best he can. And the real problem here is just how unreasonable America, you've never seen that kind of coverage. It was basically, you know, George W. Bush worked for oil companies and he's from Texas and a lot of oil companies in Texas. Therefore, greedy oil companies are why you're, you're paying so much at the pump. Which, oh, by the way, really wasn't the issue. It was one, you know, your usual issues of combinations of supply and demand. Supply gets constrained, demand goes up, particularly in the summer months. People are taking, you know, summer vacations, driving around, et cetera. That's how you end up with that. Also, by the way, like each time you institute some sort of environmental uh, restriction, like here in Virginia, it has to be, I think it was, is it 10, 15% ethanol, something like that? Look, that means you need a supply of ethanol, which, you know, adds one more step to the refining process, which is another uh, minor, but, you know, constraint on, on the amount of supply you can get there. As well, the, the other thing which I kind of think comes clear in this, we're used to lame spin from Jen Psaki and, then, and you know, the administration defenders don't have an easy case to make right now. So I'm not surprised that things are that they're kind of, you know, grasping for whatever they can get their hands on. What we you are know, throwing every argument out to the spaghetti argument, you know, this form of argument. You throw it up against the wall and see what sticks, right? 
In this particular case, I know the president of the United States does not fill up the beast, the presidential limousine. The president of the United States does not worry about the cost of jet fuel for Air Force One. I understand probably almost everybody who works for the White House, they don't make tons of money. They're not making millions of dollars, but they're generally making comfortable livings. They also live in a you know, Washington, D.C. area, which is a high cost of living area. But my guess is Jen Psaki doesn't spend a lot of time you know, uh, filling up her own tank. My guess is Ron Klain does not spend a lot of time filling up their own tank, his own tank. Uh, a lot of these folks, by the way, keep in mind, had you know rather lucrative consulting gigs in the off years when Trump was in office, right? So my suspicion is is that almost everybody around the president, no, oh, by the way, a portion of this uh, of the people in media, not necessarily your typical <clears throat> podcast host, but like oh, the kind of people who you see on television all the time, generally are making well past six figures, six figures and not just low end six figures. Sometimes they're making mid six figures, particularly if they host a TV show on MSNBC or something like that. So you've got people who are living quite comfortably so that the amount of pressure on them is, is not all that significant. So if the, their grocery price goes up five bucks, 10 bucks, 15 bucks, they may not notice. If it costs 10 more dollars to fill up their tank than it did a month ago, two months ago, earlier in the year, they're not gonna notice that as much. Um, this is part of the problem of being governed by elites is that they are not actually experiencing what everybody else is experiencing, or they don't feel it the same way. Now, this doesn't mean that they can't care. They are capable of caring. They just choose not to in some cases, or is one of those that are kind of oblivious to this. Um, or, or when you hear people saying like, oh, you know, yes, you're, you're paying more for groceries, you're paying more for food, but look at the increase in, in house prices, American households are doing better. Well, that's great if you own your house, but even then, it's not like you want you can sell your house in order to raise money for groceries, right? You know, your your whatever you see on the Zillow or or whatever you know app is telling you the value of your house is going up. That's great, but that's something you're only going to cash in when you sell it, which you probably aren't going to do for a very long time. So the idea that inflation, oh, you don't worry, you all the assets you own they're going to increase in value and that'll that'll work out well for you. You still got to get to that point. And I think at some point, skyrocketing prices in anything, including real estate, does not actually improve things. That also assumes we're not dealing with some sort of housing bubble or something like that. So you add all this kind of stuff up. It's all just tone deaf. It's all just lame spin that they would never use if the shoe was on the other foot. Yeah, a president doesn't have complete control over the economy. Yeah, some of this is related to international supply chain issues that aren't completely in the president's control. But he could do the Jones Act. He could, uh, we have this massive new uh, tariff we put on Chinese chassis, the parts of the kind of the, the framework of the truck and the uh, trailers and all that kind of stuff. And they're doing it at a time when we don't have enough tractor trailers. We also don't have enough truck drivers. And uh, you saw them, the administration backed down on the vaccine mandate application to truck drivers. Kind of fascinating there. AB5, the uh, uh, you know, the contracting and, and freelancer bill out in California complicates things. The fact that gas prices are now, I think I checked like 464. Well, if everything in the United States, if one third, one fifth of all the goods in the United States come in through California, and most of them have to go on trucks, some of them go on trains, and gas prices are super high in California, guess what? It means the cost of shipping all that stuff is going to get more expensive. There are things government can do to facilitate these sorts of things. The Democrats just don't want to do this because this would alienate some of their, some of their key constituent groups, including unions, including environmentalists, folks like that. So all in all, uh, it's a big, big mess. And I think this kind of spin is only going to anger people 
which kind of takes us full circle to our first marketing, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's great if your home value is going out if you're selling. If you're not, it just means your property taxes are higher. And so that actually adds to uh, to the inflation costs that you're dealing with. And so that's no good. And I could go off at length about how much I hate property taxes. Might be my least favorite taxes of all. I already own this. Why am I still paying you anything? Greg, uh, don't worry that the Democrats are going to take care of you by lower, increasing the state and local tax deduction. Um, for all, all the, all the millionaires, <laughs> all of those millionaire podcast hosts, we're going to soak the rich by giving them a tax cut with the salt, uh, removing the salt uh, provision from the Trump tax bill. Yeah, that's fantastic. Jim, happy Monday. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, please uh, subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. We're always grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. They're a huge help to us. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Monday. And please tune in again Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, it's Dana Lash, host of The Dana Show. Every day, I'm here to keep you up to speed on the most important stories and info that you need to know in your very busy life. And if you're always on the go and you want to stay connected, just download our daily podcast and take it with you. It's a great way to get up to speed on what you need to know and what legacy media may not be telling you. Visit danaradio.com and click on the podcast link or subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.